For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, October is National Dwarfism Awareness Month. There are more than 400 kinds of dwarfism, and these affect the lives of an estimated 16,000 Americans and their families. This week, we're taking a closer look at what living with dwarfism means, and we'll introduce you to some dynamic and diverse members of our community along the way. That subject is coming up next on this special Arizona Spotlight. Dwarf, or little person, now sometimes abbreviated to LP, are the preferred terms to refer to persons of short stature. There is no one condition that causes dwarfism, but many, including bone growth disorders and hormone imbalances. Some people of short stature experience a range of health complications due to differences found in their skeleton and physiology. To start with some facts, we'll hear about a new clinic at Phoenix Children's Hospital that offers a multidisciplinary approach to helping youngsters with the difficulties connected to dwarfism. It's one of only a few such clinics in the world. Sarah Hammond spoke to Kristen Lindstrom, MD, who is the clinic's geneticist. The Skeletal Dysplasia and Bone Health Clinic has been open for three months. Dr. Lindstrom says she and her colleagues individually have treated children with dwarfism for many years, but the clinic brings the specialists together once a month. Dwarfism is, in general, is caused by something that would have a genetic cause at the very root of it, although not all forms have a known genetic cause. Somebody with achondroplasia, the primary issue they have tends to be with their skeleton. Another word that we use for some forms of dwarfism is skeletal dysplasia. Now, not all people who qualify for dwarfism, which is just short stature, have a skeletal dysplasia, but in people with achondroplasia, genetically, the bones are formed differently. And while the bones are the primary thing that's different, it often can affect a lot of other organ systems because of the relative sizes of things. According to Seattle Children's Hospital, skeletal dysplasias affect 1 in 5,000 children. Achondroplasia is less common and affects 1 in 15,000 children. And then there are other types of dwarfism or short stature where the bones may not be the only thing affected. There may even be abnormally formed parts you know, of the body, like they could have heart defects or differences in their brain or, or other organ systems as well. So it really depends on what condition you're talking about. Dr. Lindstrom says one organ that can be affected are the ears because their function depends on three small bones. So while her orthopedist colleague is focusing on the skeleton, he might not think about the potential for hearing impairment in the child. I like to consider myself the specialist for the condition. You know, I sort of see the big picture. We know that kids that have um, skeletal dysplasias especially, so dwarfism but with an abnormal skeleton itself, tend to have a lot of medical issues that sort of fall in certain patterns and need a lot of close attention and often need multiple subspecialists to manage them together. And we feel like you get better care when those subspecialists are all seeing the patient at the same time, can talk to each other, can and plan for procedures together. My job as the geneticist on that team is to help explain the condition, both to the family and to the other docs. Dr. Lindstrom says already the clinic is helping families of children with dwarfism connect and support one another. 
we're already starting to see a pretty nice sense of community develop around the skeletal dysplasia clinic. In fact, it, it was sort of the skeletal dysplasia clinic happened because of the wishes and desires of the families who already sort of knew each other and wanted to improve and increase the care that their children were getting. She says the skeletal dysplasia and bone health clinic could expand beyond its current half day per month seeing patients. The number of Arizonans living with dwarfism measures in the hundreds, but the rarity of clinics specializing in dysplasia means that Phoenix Children's could end up serving a percentage of the estimated 16,000 Americans living with dwarfism. I'm Sarah Hammond for Arizona Spotlight. In recognition of National Dwarfism Awareness Month, the Pima County Public Library is opening a dialogue about all kinds of differences with some of the youngest members in our community. Here's Brenna Bailey to tell us more. Amy Morris, an associate at the Pima County Public Library System, wants kids to learn at a young age that differences aren't something they should fear. Morris herself knows what it's like to be ostracized for being labeled as different. She has achondroplasia, the most common form of dwarfism. She says she's experienced firsthand her whole life how hurtful the different stigma can be, especially on young children's self-esteem. That's why she started the Pima County Library's Differences in Dwarfism Storytime series last year, to get kids as young as two years old thinking about diversity in a positive light. Usually they've never seen a little person. We're kind of stand out. There's not many of us out there. I think it's something that, you know, the more they, they see things or talk about things, um, then the more they're able to ask questions, then, you know, they are able to take something from it. So. At the Storytimes, Morris and other library associates get kids who don't have dwarfism to play, sing, and read books explaining why we should embrace each other's differences, all with kids who do have dwarfism. You might notice something different about me. This is my friend Miguel. Can you see my difference now? What's different? He's smaller. Yeah, and he's, he's shorter. And what about him? He's taller. He's taller. Yeah. I am much shorter than Miguel, and that is what makes me awesome. Morris says she thinks kids don't care about other people's differences as much because they haven't necessarily established what's considered normal and what's not in our society. They're more receptive and more open, usually, just because they haven't gone through as many, you know, the life experiences, so they, they're not like us adults and <laughs> for the most part. One of the storytime attendees drove Morris's point home quite matter-of-factly. I'm Aiden. I'm four years old. I learned friendship. Do you have any friends who have dwarfism? Uh, yes. Benjamin. Benjamin? Yeah. And do you think it's important to be friends with people regardless of their differences? Yes. Aiden's mom, Ellen Lay, says she brought him to storytime because she, as a parent, values diversity. She wants her kids to do the same, and instilling those values in him, she says, needs to start as early as possible. In today's world, everybody, it's like they're forgetting that being different is cool and to, you know, to, to cherish the differences. And for me, it's just a reminder that we all really need to look for what's in common instead of what's different. Myra Martinez brought her son Gregory to Morris's story time. Greg, like Morris, has achondroplasia. Martinez says events like the Differences in Dwarfism series are important in breaking down stigmas about people with dwarfism and anyone who isn't normal per our society's standards. I guess people uh, might not know how to react and kids might not know how to react when they see other people with differences, so it's just important to 
expose them to other people and see that they're just people. Greg, who just turned three, has thick, long eyelashes and a sly smirk on his face the entire time I chat with his mom. He looks pretty small for a three-year-old, but Martina says he wasn't treated differently than other kids until quite recently. We do get kids that say, oh, what a cute baby. And as of like a month ago, he started not liking when we call him baby or other people call him baby. And he'll say, no, I'm not a baby. I'm just Greg. Morris says the point of the differences in dwarfism events is to emphasize to kids that asking questions about people who look different than them is okay, so long as it's done in a respectful, inquisitive manner. When you do see something different, it's good to acknowledge it and have them, if anything, say hi to the person or, you know, if they do have questions and the person doesn't mind, just, just asking. Because then the child knows that it's, it's just, oh, okay, that person's different, but it's not something to be afraid of. I am not too big. I am not too small. I am just right for me. The library hosted its final Differences in Dwarfism Storytime last Friday, but Morris says the series will be back next October. It's for Arizona Spotlight, I'm Brenna Bailey. Brenna Bailey is a journalism student at the University of Arizona and an intern at Arizona Public Media. To help understand what living with dwarfism is like, I asked three people from Southern Arizona to come to our studio and have a discussion. Haley Hendrixy, a speech pathology major at the University of Arizona. Sherry Baker, a Tucsonan who's been a preschool teacher and worked in local business. And Ed Myers, a disability rights lawyer and history enthusiast. They had never actually met outside of contact on social media. To help prompt their conversation, I gave them questions that they had not seen before, typed on strips of paper. I asked them to take turns reading the questions out loud and giving their responses. This is Haley, and the first question is, name an asset that comes with dwarfism. A lot of times, people obviously judge you before they really get to know you. But an asset for for dwarfism is that we can actually do a lot more than people really think. And I think that can be a really good thing. The asset that I see is adaptability, and that we always have to adapt to our situation and things. It basically makes us, I think, in a lot of ways, very creative in our thinking and how we approach things in life. A lot of times I always hear from folks, I never thought about it like that, you know, when we approach a problem. I think that that's, that's a really good asset to have. Um, and it keeps your mind limber as you get older. That's what I noticed. Because you got to like, oh, I got to think this one through here and uh, figure out how to make something accessible or make something uh, useful for me to do the things that I need to do. I don't know about you guys, but I've had to learn to teach myself to have a can-do attitude, and by having that, it just shows others who don't even know me as a person already that I can prove them wrong, that I can do things that they don't think I can do, but I show them that no matter how tall you are, you can do the same things they can do. This is Ed, and the second question is, what kinds of questions do you often hear from strangers? About every day, Someone will come up to me, most likely a kid, but they'll be like, how old are you? Oh my gosh, like, why do you sound like you're an adult, but you look like you're six years old? Like, what the heck? That or 
a lot of times people ask me, am I okay? Yes, I'm fine. I'm just different than you are. <laughs> um, a lot of people would be like, well, why do you walk differently than I do? But then I usually just use that opportunity to explain to them, hey, I'm different. I have dwarfism. And then I use that opportunity to explain like what it is and to educate them on what it means and what I have to live with every day. And that's very true. I think that it's great when people ask you, like, you know, I know little kids will say, you're a short mommy. And then when their parent is there, they're really embarrassed. But I think it's great to educate them, as you said, because I think that parents want to just kind of uh, sweep it under the carpet about our our disabilities. And I think it's great to be able to look them in the eye and say, you know what, I'm a dwarf. Um, I was born this way, and I'm probably not going to get much taller. You know, this way the child knows that, hey, there are different people out there. And uh, I'm not a mommy, but, you know, I'm a short lady. This is how it is, and I think it's good. The best thing that you said, Haley, was um, educating people. Of course, because a lot of kids are unfamiliar with people's differences and kind of bugs me because I wish kids had people to teach them like hey it's okay to be different they're going to be different like don't don't stare at them like they're that way because they were made that way basically it's the younger kids who uh, ask are you a little man what are you and you know what's wrong with you and things um i think as i've gotten older sometimes because of the work that i've done in the past I, I can be sometimes a little short with them, and I don't mean it in the way that it sounds. But I mean just, you know, this is who I am. This is who I am. I'm going to go shop now, <laughs> you know. But I do think it's important that we do try to educate people. And um, I've spent a lot of time traveling around this state and around the country doing training, giving people the opportunity to know about disability and knowing about uh, dwarfism. Most of the time I talk to adults, and sometimes I think these aren't the people I really need to talk to. It's really the little kids and the younger generations so that they understand, you know, because when I entered the workforce, the ADA had just gotten passed. The opportunities for me were a little bit different than what they are for Haley. People don't necessarily think that you can't be a lawyer now. And when people ask me that I have a disability, I say, go for it. Go do what you need to do. You can do it now. You've got civil rights. So I think it's changed a little bit. It's getting better. It's not getting worse, I hope. This is Sherry. And name a way that dwarfism has helped to shape your personality. Ed? I think it shaped it in a positive view. Uh, it's one of these weird questions that I get from time to time from people who are dwarves as well or have disabilities, and they ask, you know, if you could take a pill that would cure you, would you do that? And my answer is always, no, why would I? I mean, I've, I, it, it's set me who I am. It's made me very persistent. I persevere a lot. Yeah, I've had some ups and downs and things, but overall, I've met every challenge and I've overcome them, and I continue to work. I continue to be a productive member of society, and um, I think I keep a pretty good sense of humor about it all and stuff. I don't get too down on myself. I just think it's really made me a very strong in terms of character and what's right and wrong and things of that nature. I think that I think it set me on a good course. 
So I grew up in a Christian family and I grew up believing and I still believe strongly today that God made me who I am today for a reason and for a purpose, for good. And with having dwarfism, it has taught me to be strong, independent. I've had to go through many ups and downs and I've conquered a lot of hard things that a lot of people would think that someone like me wouldn't be able to conquer, but I truly believe that I was made the way that I am today to prove to others that I can do things that they think I can't do. I wouldn't change who I am today and I love being different. I love being unique and I like showing people that I can conquer anything. I too grew up in a very Christian family and I still believe and I remember the fact that being that I am the only dwarf in my family and being the youngest, they didn't want to baby me, nor did they want to treat me differently. And the one thing that my dad would always um, imply with me was to never use the word can't, to always try. And don't say you can't do it until you try. So I remember being in the first grade and we were learning all the apostrophe and adding the T's to the word and our teacher said the word can't and I told her that that is not a word. And so I was very forceful in my way of saying she cannot say that. That has always been my way of life and not trying to say the word can't but trying to succeed in, in everything I do. And the next question is, do you have any advice about a way to deal with being bullied? You know, I find it interesting that um, I know kids today, and I find it very sad that bullied is something that probably has been around forever. It's just that I never felt like I was really ever bullied. I did have one situation in high school. There was uh, there was a certain gentleman who thought he was really funny, and um, but he wasn't. And uh, he had a broken leg this one year, so he thought it would be fun to throw his leg over my head, as he would always do before the broken leg. And then this one time he did it, and uh, of course hit me in the head with this cast from his leg. And uh, so anyway, at the time, I was a freshman in high school, and my godbrother was a senior, and it, it got back to him that this happened, and uh, he took care of the situation for sure. Because of my outgoing personality, my outgoing attitude on life, I had people always around me. And I feel that way even now. Um, the man that I'm with, that I've been with for 13 years, he's average height, and we can be out and about. And I think that maybe sometimes he might be bothered by what other people think, but he doesn't ever allow that to take place. In a lot of ways, he is my, my protector. I don't ever really feel bullied, but Ed made a good point. Somebody might be bothering him in a store, and he says, thank you, and he, and he shares what he shares and says, I need to go shop, you know, kind of thing. You know, we can say what we need to say and, and move forward. I haven't experienced a specific time either um, of being bullied, but I can say from the daily, like, stares or fingers pointed at me, I don't let it bother me. I do try and make it um, 
funny for me though I'll kind of be the bad guy back to them and I'll either like stare at them back or like wave at them and make them embarrassed for what they're doing and maybe they realize oh wait maybe I shouldn't be doing that and then the day goes on but I don't let people get to me you know you just gotta keep your head up high and keep doing you with your positive attitude and go on with your life you know I mean there's always people out there that like to do um jokes and things and I think sometimes it goes over the top and that's where I kind of like all right you know what that's about enough of that (laughs) you know it's kind of a form of bullying though when you get the jokes about being little or something like that and when it starts to get just a little bit rough it's like that's when you got to say something and when it starts to impact you it's more like a little bit of verbal abuse than it is anything else not physical or anything it just, but there are times when people do go over the top, and it's like, hey, you know, I'm trying to be a nice guy here with you, you know, but I said, you know, watch the lines. The conversation you just heard was between Tucson and Sherry Baker, University of Arizona student Haley Hendrixie, and Ed Myers, a semi retired lawyer who lives in Tempe. Adiba Nelson is a Tucson author, activist, mother, diva, and queen bee. In this edition of The Word, why the lack of dolls that reflect what it means to be different is a symptom of a larger problem. Better call Becky with a good chair. This is The Word, and I'm Adiba Nelson. By now, you've likely heard the news. Mattel Toys has discontinued Wheelchair Barbie, a.k.a. Becky. She will no longer be found on store shelves or on their website. If you want to find Becky, you'll likely have to meet someone who goes by a name like Q in a dark alley. You better take a suitcase full of unmarked bills. Okay, so maybe that's a reach, but you get my point. Becky is gone. No mas. She has left the building. This may not seem odd to you, and it's okay if it doesn't. But when you think about the fact that the public has pushed for Barbie to be more representative of the body types children see in daily life, the discontinuation of a body type that doesn't fit the norm seems counterintuitive. The world is screaming for more media diversity, inclusion, and acceptance. Why get rid of the one doll that fills that void? So I went poking around Mattel's website, hoping, praying, all but willing there to be a statement from Mattel explaining the discontinuation of Becky. There was nothing. No explanation of low sales leading to Becky's disappearance. No mea culpa from Mattel realizing their mistake and promising to bring Becky back. Just nothing. However, when I did a Google search, I found articles that talked about the possible reasons Mattel made this decision. According to one article, Becky's wheelchair didn't fit through the doorways of Barbie's dream house, nor did it fit in the elevator. The only place Becky could fit was in the kitchen. But alas, she couldn't do anything in the kitchen because according to the author, the kitchen was not designed to allow for wheelchair access. Becky could not roll up to the sink, put dishes in the dishwasher, or cook. She could only watch. Sadly, this isn't even a new problem. 
According to another article run by the New York Daily News, in 1997, Mattel was informed that Barbie's home did not meet ADA requirements. Their solution? They created Barbie's folding pretty house. It was made of cardboard and was to be fully wheelchair accessible. Problem solved. Except, the problem wasn't solved. In the Barbie folding pretty house kitchen, Becky still could not access the sink. So if Barbie had her over for dinner, Becky can't be a good girlfriend and help with the dishes. But let's say this is Becky's house and she's feeling gracious one day and invites Barbie over for dinner. Let's say they eat and after dinner, Becky wants to offer Barbie some ice cream for dessert. How will she reach it? The freezer is way up on top of the refrigerator. Too bad, so sad, Barbie. No ice cream for you. Also, to add further insult to injury, Becky's wheelchair cannot fit in the back of Barbie's Corvette. So, goodbye trips to the mall. So long double dates with Ken and Chip. Now, I should tell you that I did a pretty extensive research through the Mattel website just to make sure Becky really and truly was gone. And not only is there zero trace of Becky, there is also zero trace of the folding pretty house. Yep, that's right. Becky and everything that went with her is gone. G-O-N-E, gone. Is the picture I'm painting for you starting to come into focus? If you're still not sure where the problem is, let me break it down because it's pretty straight on for me the parent of a child who utilizes a wheelchair. By discontinuing Becky because her wheelchair is incompatible with Barbie's home and life, Mattel is sending a message to children that if your friends are too different from you, you can simply discard them. You no longer have to be friends with them. You don't have to figure out how to be a helper and you certainly don't have to be inclusive or accommodating. Your friend's crutches don't fit in your car? Sorry, Julia, you can't come to the movies with us. DeAndre uses a wheelchair to get around? Sorry, dude, you can't play tag with us. Play is supposed to be something that all children can do together. It is supposed to open the imagination and be a gateway to learning. But by discontinuing Becky, Mattel has gone against the very principle of play. For what it's worth, though, I hope they bring Becky back. I also hope that if they do bring Becky back, they make her wheelchair collapsible. I mean, come on, they're toy makers. If this same company can make Disney Cars toys that transform from rolling vehicles into buildings, airplanes, and anything else, surely they can make a foldable wheelchair that will fit in Barbie's fancy pink Corvette. Until then, it's a sad day in Toyland. I guess Barbie better call Becky with the good chair. He better call Becky with the good hair. You can find much more of Adiba Nelson online, especially at her website, The Full Nelson. The Beats were by Benby. My sincere thanks to Amy Morris and Gail Blackburn for helping to make this show possible. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. You can find our podcasts on iTunes and through the phone app NPR One. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. The music is by Calexico, 
The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. Our executive producer is Peter Michaels. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.